remember as a child, being taught how to pray using template prayers. Particularly at mealtimes, this is one of my earliest memories of, of praying. Here's the, here's the first mealtime prayer that, that I heard. You probably are familiar with it as well. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for this food. By his hands we all are fed. Let us thank him for daily bread. Uh, my three siblings and I learned to pray this at mealtimes. Uh, we would pray it verbatim. It was a template for us. It was a, a learning tool for us. Short, memorable, had a little rhyme to it. I remember some friends teaching me a different sing-song prayer. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. That didn't go over well with my folks, and so that didn't last long. But the other prayer did. And notice, in that, in that prayer, God is good, God is great. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Thank him for our daily bread. What is in that short, packaged prayer? Well, it's an acknowledgement of God's character, his goodness, his benevolence. He's kind. He delights to give good gifts to his children. And God is great. There's a difference between God's goodness and his greatness. His goodness is his benevolence. His greatness is his reverence, his awe-inspiring power. The earth spins on its axis because of God. It's his greatness. And so all of our resources come from him and his power. And then certainly learning gratefulness through this template prayer. Twice over, let us thank him for our food or for our bread. It was a teaching tool for us as kids, a template that gave us categories to acknowledge in prayer and to pray for specifically. And as we grew and matured, we prayed this prayer less verbatim, but used the same categories, acknowledging God's goodness and his greatness and being grateful and thankful for what he's given to us. This template approach to teaching people how to pray is what the Lord Jesus himself does through the Lord's Prayer. We introduced the Lord's Prayer. It's found in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. We introduced it uh, last week. We're going to take two Sundays to unpack and to explore this wonderful prayer. You certainly can pray it verbatim. In fact, many of us grew up in traditions where you did it every Sunday. There's nothing wrong with that, but we have to see and acknowledge that the purpose of the prayer is to provide a pattern, to provide categories for kingdoms in the citizen, king, citizens in the kingdom of God to pray for. So its best usage is actually thinking through the categories of our praying. And that's what we want to do, slowing down, taking two weeks in this prayer. What we see here is the Lord's Prayer, the teaching on the Lord's Prayer, is embedded in Jesus' overall Sermon on the Mount that we've been exploring since September of last year. We see the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so it's important for us to just pause and realize that the Lord's Prayer is embedded in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's embedded in a portion of Scripture that unpacks the ethic of the kingdom, what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of Jesus. And prayer is part and parcel of that. Prayer, in fact, is the great privilege that we have as kingdom citizens, talking to the king. And just consider the, the context. We, we don't, didn't grow up in a monarchy, but just think about if you grew up in a monarchy, the ability to talk to the king at will. That's what Jesus is affording his kingdom citizens, the ability to talk to the king at will. Prayer is a great privilege of citizens in Jesus' 
kingdom. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 as we explore the second part of the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read all of it. We're going to read verses 9 through 13 in Matthew chapter 6. You can find that on page 811 in the Bibles we've provided on your chairs. If you're here today and you need a copy of the Bible, we would love to give you one. We mention this every Sunday. There are uh, black hardback Bibles um, right in the, in the lobby, the, the bookshelf closest to the restrooms. Please grab one. If a friend needs one, you can take them from, for your friend as well. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9, I'll read through verse 13. Jesus says to the citizens of his kingdom, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I mentioned these last few weeks, uh, we are working through a little mini-series in the Sermon on the Mount. So we've been in this, uh, this sermon since September. And when you turn from Matthew 5 into Matthew 6, you see a little mini-series or a mini-theme. And the theme is, beware of practicing your righteousness for others to praise you. Jesus is issuing a caution for us not to seek the praise of people in exercising our spiritual discipline. He's, in fact, warning us against religious showmanship. And so he introduces us, us to this theme, this mini-theme in Matthew 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness for other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then he goes on, all the way through verse 18, to talk about three disciplines, three spiritual disciplines in particular, giving, praying, and fasting. We talked about giving in December. We're in praying right now, and then in a couple weeks we'll cover fasting. Three spiritual disciplines, and Jesus is just giving us a heart check. Why do you do what you do? Why do you exercise the spiritual disciplines? Is it to be seen and acknowledged by men and women, or is it to draw near to your Father? We need it to, do, to draw near to our Father. Now, within the praying spiritual discipline, Jesus gives us a little excursus or a little sermon sidebar. Oh, and by the way, let me teach you how to pray. In the midst of this little mini-series about not practicing your spiritual disciplines for others to praise you, he says, let me just pause here and give you a little sidebar, a little additional teaching on how you should pray. And notice what he says in verse 9. Pray then like this. Notice what he doesn't say. Pray this. Pray then like this, which gets to the point. It's, it's a category prayer. It's a pattern. You can say it verbatim. There's merit to that. But don't do it in a mechanical kind of rote way. It's best used when you pray like this. Pray these categories. And so last week I just gave an introduction to, to those categories. We see this discernible structure to the Lord's Prayer. It has an introductory address, who we're praying to, our Father, who art in heaven. And then it's followed by five petitions to, to God. Two of those petitions are for God. That's where the petitions start. And three of those petitions are for us. You'll see a slide up here. We covered the first two petitions last week. For God's honor, it's on the pinky, 
and for God's kingdom, his lordship, and the ring finger. Today we're going to cover our daily bread, our forgiveness, and our guidance. And it's strategic that we begin with eyes on God. His honor, his holiness, and his lordship. Because once you get God-centeredness right first, then you're positioned to pray for yourself and others. It's strategic. Eyes on God first, and then you'll be in a healthy position, the right posture to pay, pray for yourself and others. And the other thing to note is all of these petitions flow out of the palm, just like your fingers extend out of your palm. It's your sonship with the Lord. It's your daughtership that flows out the petitions. Because you're a son or daughter of God, you are given the privilege to petition him. So all these petitions flow out of the palm. They flow out of the Our Father, your sonship or daughtership. Just a simple tool to help guide you through the Lord's prayer. Prayer is a great privilege for a child of God and a citizen of his kingdom. So those first two petitions that we covered last week are for his honor and his kingdom. They get our hearts right first and prepare us to pray for others. This is the wisdom of the Lord's Prayer. Eyes on God first, his power, his greatness, and then we're ready to pray for ourselves and others. We're reminded, in fact, he has the power to provide for me. So it sets us up well to pray for ourselves and others. And in these petitions, these final three petitions for ourselves and for others, they cover both physical and spiritual needs. We're called to pray for both physical and spiritual needs. And we'll see those in these three final petitions. Here's the first one. For our daily bread. Uh, Jesus says in this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. What is bread? Bread is the staple of life. It's our sustenance. It is a necessity for us. And bread here in the prayer is representative of all things needful. For life. It's representative. Food, shelter, clothing, health, employment, intellect, education, relationship, and rest, etc. What are those things needful for your existence? It's a pretty good list. Food, shelter, clothing, health, employment, rest, relationships, education. This is a prayer for necessities, not for luxuries. Very important. For our needs, not once. There's a simplicity here. Father, please provide us with what is needful for this day. It is a prayer that will keep you humble. It will keep you dependent. Can I ask you, what do you need today? I mean, I'm, a, I'm one of the pastors of this congregation. I know a lot don't know everything about the needs of this congregation, but some of you come here with legitimate physical needs. What are they? Pray to your heavenly Father. He wants to hear. Pray and keep praying. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. He wants to hear. He delights to provide. He's benevolent. prayer keeps us dependent the original context that jesus spoke these words is somewhat removed from our experience 
the people in Jesus' day, many of them, the vast majority, the people, would have, the, the people that Jesus would have addressed were day laborers. They worked physical jobs. They were laborers or they were farmers. Both occupations involved dependence. If you were a day laborer, let's say you were a, a stone layer or a brick layer, you would receive a small wage and that wage would be paid to you not on a monthly direct deposit. It was paid daily, daily. A denarius was the average day's wage for a laborer. You would get a denarius. And you would use that coin at the end of your day to go to the market and buy food for dinner. It's literally a daily sustenance, a delicate existence, right? Because what happens if dad goes down on the job? Destitution. These folks understood dependence, daily sustenance. A day labor, you, you, you would get dependence. These folks got dependence. What if you were a farmer? You were dependent upon the Lord to provide rain upon the, the, the crops that you, you tilled and planted. But you were dependent upon the yield, the harvest. These people that Jesus spoke to understood dependence. Brothers and sisters, we oftentimes don't understand our dependence. Because we can go to Star Market or Market Basket we just assume the next meal is coming. The next trip to the Burlington Mall is coming. The next Amazon package is coming. We live in a culture that shields us oftentimes from our dependence. The Lord's Prayer is to remind you of your daily need. Just survey your life. I did this exercise with you in a sermon in December. Just survey your life. The last two hours... What has God provided for you that you've just blown right by and taken for granted? Warm water, running water, food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your home, the things that we just blaze right through in our lives, these are all gifts from God. He is kind and benevolent, but we can grow kind of isolated or, or insulated from, from, from the dependence that we actually have upon God. Can I just encourage you, fight entitlement in your life fight ungratefulness in your life fight just the expectation that it's just going to come be grateful for every little gift that god gives and perhaps you're here and you're not a christian you're skeptical i want to encourage you to fight skepticism where do you think Every good gift that you have comes from. The Bible says that in God, you live and you move and you, ha you have your being. The, the, the reason your heart takes the next lub-dub, lub-dub, the next be is because God is commanding it to do so. You are dependent upon God. But the power of our tools and the oppressiveness of our education shields us from realizing our dependence. And the Lord's Prayer helps us. The Lord's Prayer helped you fight entitlement, ungratefulness, and skepticism. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And do you know what he's been? Throughout the years of his people's existence, he's a provider. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Paul speaks of this, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? It's all from the Lord's hand. 
give us this day our daily bread also implies a plurality. It implies a community, our daily bread. It is speaking to the collective whole. It's not just a prayer for ourselves, for our own food, shelter, clothing, employment, etc. It's a prayer for other people as well. Martin Luther, the German pastor and leader of the Protestant Reformation, concluded that the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, was indirectly a prayer for justice in the world. He writes, for all to get daily bread, there must be a thriving economy, good employment, and a just society. Therefore, this is a prayer against wanton exploitation in business, trade, and labor, which crushes the poor and deprives them from their daily bread. Praying for daily bread is a means of praying for God's justice to roll down throughout all the world. I think that's, that's telling. There's a plurality to the prayer. There's community to the prayer. It involves other people. The first petition is for our daily bread to grow us in dependence and gratefulness upon the Lord who provides everything for us. Here's the second petition, our forgiveness. Jesus says, pray then like this. Part of the prayer is forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus speaks of sin as debt owed to God. You see, our sin places us in a position of moral shortcoming, moral need before God. And we need forgiveness. We need provision. We need God to meet that, that gap, that need that we have morally. In Greco-Roman culture, a creditor would issue a notice or a statement a note of indebtedness to his debtor, much like a, a, a mortgage note that we would have. It's just a statement that clearly outlines your indebtedness, the terms, what you've borrowed. It's a written statement. And when that debt was fulfilled, it was ripped up or burned. It was done away with. It was canceled at that point because it's been paid. Paul gets at this in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14, speaking of our salvation. He says, you were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, yet God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside the record, nailing it to the cross. It's a picture of that written notice, that statement of indebtedness being nailed to the cross. Why nailed to the cross? Because that's the place of payment where Jesus paid our debt for us. So at base level in the Lord's Prayer, we, we see the work of salvation. We stood in need of forgiveness. We had a massive debt that we could never pay on our own, but God pays it for us at the cross. Nails that written notice of indebtedness that we had. Nails it to the cross. It's done. It is finished, Jesus says. He's paid it for us. That is the gift of salvation. Yet from that, from the basis of that salvation and that initial forgiveness, we continue to pray the prayer. Remember, Jesus is teaching kingdom citizens, people who've been saved, how to pray. And a prayer for forgiveness, daily forgiveness, is a wise and right thing to do. 
why do we need to do this? Why do we have every Sunday a time of confession of sin and an assurance of our salvation, our, our pardon that, that Dave Raffensperger led us to? Why do we do this? You might think that that is strange. Hey, I'm a Christian. Yes, you are a Christian. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you have salvation. But in order to maintain right relationship with the Lord Jesus throughout all your days along the journey, you need to acknowledge your sin before him. Much like I have a covenant relationship with my wife, Laura. On August 13, 2004, this is a big year for us, this is 20, we made a covenant. It was a, a one-time thing. We, we made a covenant. We entered the relationship. Just like in salvation, you enter the relationship by trust in Jesus. But my goodness, do you know how many times I have to ask forgiveness for my wife to restore right relationship? A lot. Daily. In the same way, we hinder the relationship that we have with God through our sin. And the reason Jesus says that we need to pray this, this forgiveness, is because it restores right relationship with God as we journey with him, even as his followers. It's a good thing for you to acknowledge your sin on a daily basis. Lean into him. Trust in his forgiveness to make that relationship right when it goes sideways because of your sin. It's a glorious invitation in the Lord's Prayer to regularly confess before God our need. What is striking about this petition is how linked our restoration in relationship with God is to our restoration in relationship with others. Do you, do you see that in this petition? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So Jesus is assuming that we are giving the same grace that we have been given by God. He's assuming that forgiven sinners forgive sins. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. There's, there's a tie here between your relationship with God on, the, on the, the vertical and your relationship with other people on the horizontal. They're, they're linked it is an awful contradiction to request grace from God than to withhold grace to another. It's an awful contradiction. Forgiven sinners forgive sins against them. Graced people give grace to other people. Can I ask you, if you're a Christian here, is there someone in your life that you are withholding grace from. Perhaps you've been hurt, and I don't want to minimize that, but is there someone that you are having the utmost difficulty giving grace? I understand. I have it too. I want to encourage you as a pastor, as a friend to you, just pause and remember how good God has been to you forgiving you the mountain of debt that you could never pay. There's not an offense that someone can commit against you that could compare to the offenses that you've committed against God. And how has he treated you? He has not treated you as your sins deserve. Remember the gospel. Remember his mercy. Remember his grace to you. Then you're positioned to give grace to other people who have wounded you, who have hurt you, who have ignored you, whatever the case may be. Forgiven sinners forgive sin. Graced people give grace. The first petition is for our daily bread. The second petition is for our forgiveness. Here's the third and final petition 
for us is our guidance, our spiritual guidance. Jesus says, pray then like this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the, the first part of this petition seems odd, doesn't it? Why would you have to pray to God to not lead you into temptation? I mean, that should go without saying. Would he ever lead us into temptation? Well, of course not. But we know this from James chapter 1, verse 13. James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Well, then why is Jesus inviting us to, to pray this? This petition in the Lord's Prayer is a, is a figure of speech that expresses a truth by negating the contrary. It expresses a truth by negating the contrary. So let me give you an example. This is a little confusing. Let me give you an example to clarify. If I go to the Celtics game and I say to you, there was not a few people at the Celtics game, what am I saying? The place was packed. If I say there was not a few people there, I'm there, it was loaded with people. So I'm expressing a truth. There's a lot of people there by negating the contrary. There was not a few people there. There was a whole lot of people there. And in the same way, praying, lead us not to temptation, is to say, protect us from temptation and sin and lead us to righteousness and faithfulness. Protect us from temptation and sin and lead us to righteousness and faithfulness. This is a prayer to be spiritually guided and protected. And our best protection against temptation is daily dependence upon the Lord, clinging to his cross against all manifestations of evil, daily leaning on him for spiritual guidance and protection. One of the things that we've got to be protected against is, is our own sinful nature, our own flesh. What is that habitual sin for you? What sin pattern do you have that you've begun to believe that is master in your life? If you're a Christian, that sin does not have mastery over you. You have one master. His name is the Lord Jesus. These habitual sins do not have mastery. And that's part of battling them is to realize I am not enslaved to this. If I'm a Christian, I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in enslavement to him, there is freedom. There is life. So what is that habitual sin for you? Is it greed? Is it gluttony? Is it gossip? Is it lust? Is it pornography? Is it masturbation? Is it substance abuse? Alcohol abuse? What is it? The Lord's Prayer is a gift to you, a gift of guidance and protection for you. In the hour and heat of temptation, call out to the Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from this right now. Deliver me, deliver me. He wants to hear you pray it. But the reality is, in our own sin, and I, I, I battle this just like you do, we don't want to pray that because we want our sin more than we want him. 
pray to him, depend upon him. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has come upon you that is not common to all people. But God is faithful. And with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape, the way of deliverance that you might bear up under it. Call upon that promise in the hour and the heat of temptation. Deliver us. Deliver us. This word, deliver, in the Lord's Prayer is also used by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. Let me read that verse for you. 2 Timothy 4, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. What a glorious promise. Paul says, in the face of his own affliction, his own sin, his own persecution, his own disappointment and discouragement, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That word rescue in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is the same word as deliver here in Matthew chapter 6. The Lord is your salvation captain. He is the pilot who takes you to your heavenly destination safely. You must trust in him. He is the captain of all captains. He's the pilot of all pilots. You need to trust in him initially to get on the journey, to get on the plane. And you need to trust him every day thereafter to take you to the intended destination. How do you feel about flying? It makes some of us uncomfortable. But after you do it a few times, you get on the plane. I mean, you know the pitch that the, the captain, the pilot gives. In the end, he says, sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. Well, how do you do that? You have to trust in the pilot. There is nothing you and I can do in the midst of our worries on a plane. You are utterly dependent upon the skill and the expertise of the pilot. You implicitly trust the pilot when you get on a plane. There's nothing you can do. You trust the pilot. And so it is in our relationships with the Lord. You've got to trust our salvation captain. He takes you. He promises to take you to your heavenly destination. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in your salvation, captain. Your sanctification, captain. He's going to save you. He's going to carry you on the pathway of sanctification all the way to your heavenly destination. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring us safely to our heavenly home. Final summary here of the Lord's Prayer. The introductory address, our Father in heaven, it speaks of intimacy, it speaks of community, it speaks of authority. And then we have five petitions, two petitions to God for his honor, hallowed be your name, for his kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then three petitions for us, daily bread, forgiveness, and spiritual guidance. Prayer is a great privilege for a child of God and a kingdom, a citizen in his kingdom. Now, perhaps this whole concept of prayer just doesn't compute for you. And maybe you're here and you're, you're not a Christian. You're skeptical of this whole idea of praying. Who needs prayer? Why prayer? I want to challenge you. The reality is everyone prays in one way or another. Everyone prays. Everyone has a God impulse and it's often seen in the hour of despair and desperation. 
I remember watching a documentary a few years ago, live footage from 9-11. You know what struck me when I watched that documentary? The live footage was the voices of people everywhere, everywhere. Do you know what the most common cry of people in that documentary was on that awful day? You know what that common cry is? Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Among Christians and non-Christians, there's a God impulse that is seen in the trench. In the hour of despair, we are created in the image of God. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, in the hour of need, our dependence is seen. Oh, God. You've never gone to church yourself, never read the Bible. There's, there's this God impulse that often surfaces in the midst of despair. Oh, God. It, it, it made me cry. You see in this document, how many people crying out to God, crying out to God. Prayer is universal to the human race because we're all created in his image, wired to know him. And though we, we may live in rebellion and defiance against him in the hour of despair, we often call out to him. And here's the good news of the gospel, the invitation in the Bible, in the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus provides a pathway for us to have right relationship with God. To be able to pray out to God, not in vain, not in emptiness, oh God, but to, to know that he is there when you call upon him. That he is a tender father, a powerful father who hears your every cry. He's provided a pathway for us to know him. He gave his life for you and for me on the cross. And he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave and he offers himself to anyone who will trust in him. Putting your faith in him connects you to the creator of the universe. You can call him at will. You can talk to the king as a subject in his kingdom at will at any time. What a privilege, what a privilege made possible by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Pray and keep praying. Depend and keep depending. Through his person and his work, Jesus Christ redeems our relationship with God and through the teaching of the Lord's Prayer, he gives us a pattern of how we can pray throughout all our days with him. Let's go to him now in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your faithful teaching, your perfect teaching that meets our every need. Thank you for giving us these categories in the Lord's Prayer. God, help us to lift our eyes to you first, to your holiness, your lordship. And in that place, be ready to rightly pray for ourselves, for our physical needs, for our forgiveness, for our spiritual guidance, Lord. We're desperate for you. Lord, would you meet the needs of this congregation? Would you supply us, Lord, that we might be a blessing to our, our neighbors, our families, our coworkers? Would you forgive us our sins? Would you daily Help us to call out to you to confess sin, to restore right relationship with you. Lord, would you guide us along a faithful, righteous path away from sin and temptation, away from the evil one, away from our own flesh, away from the corrupt patterns and systems of this world. Guide us. Take us, Lord, to our heavenly home safely. We're thankful for your promise and your faithfulness to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.